Good morning. My name is April Meckel, and I am excited about my new role here at Canaan as the hospitality director for all three campuses. So now for our scripture from Matthew 6, 1 through 4. Please stand for the reading of God's holy word. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we're in Matthew 6 as we read, as April read. Continue a series of the greatest sermon ever preached, a Sermon on the Mount. And you know, Jesus began this uh, with the Beatitudes, like the chapter five, the first about 12 verses. And in, in the Beatitudes, he really captures the heart of the whole sermon, right? Which is really the heart of the new covenant, which is the heart of what does it mean for us to be a follower of Jesus? What does that look like? And so it, it talks about, what he talks about there is not so much as the things we do, as first and foremost, just who we are, our identity, our being. And you know, you, you, you think that who we are results in what we do, right? The, the doing comes out of our being. And so Jesus really hit it well, um, this concept of being. And so, you know, we, we've kind of talked about this being a lot. You know, what are we as followers of Jesus and you know, we looked at uh, several, uh, last, about this time last year, we're doing a series called Rhythms. And in this, we talked about the rhythms of a follower of Jesus. What does it look like if you're fully, you know, on fire for the Lord Jesus and you're filled with his spirit and, you know, passionately pursuing him. And these are some of the things you'll be doing. You'll be passionately learning about how to study the Bible and digging into the word. You'll be growing in your prayer life, which we're actually talking about next week because Jesus talks about that next week. Um, worship, expressing your love for God. How, how to express our love, love for God through worship, love for each other through serving, through fellowship, through just relationships. Um, and he goes on looking at investing, be intentional. This year, later on this year, we're gonna be unpacking some more about a discipleship process that we're adding to our current process. Uh, it's called cadence, and we're looking at that about how, how to be intentional, because Jesus, when he made disciples, he didn't do it accidentally. He was very strategic. He was very intentional in how he did that. And so as followers of Jesus, we have to be intentional as well, and just following, going, giving, serving. So all of these are the rhythms uh, that we are to have if we're truly filled with the Spirit of God. And so that's where Jesus started. And then as we continue to unpack the, um, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talked about being salt and light, which is what happens when we're living out the Beatitudes. And then he looked at these four kind of antitheses, really, of the Beatitudes. This is where we've been the last couple of weeks, right? We looked at first anger, anger and murder. It goes against following Jesus. If you have a lot of anger, then something's wrong. It should be, the emotion of anger should be like this dashboard warning light that goes off in your life. Say, hey, something's not right in my soul. Something's not right in my spirit if I'm harboring a lot of anger. God doesn't want us to be angry. He doesn't want us to. It's not Christ-like. You know, Jesus, although he was reviled, did not revile in return. He, 
As they were mocking him, beating him, spitting on him, hanging him on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing. We talked about lust and, and adultery. You know, Jesus took the external actions of murder and adultery and took them to the internal heart motivation reality. You know, don't even lust. If you lust, you committed adultery already. We talked about divorce or you know, not keeping your, your word and your, your commitments. And then last week, we looked at the issue of retaliation. Instead of retaliating, seeking vengeance, even love your enemies, Jesus taught us. And so that's what we've covered so far. Well, today, as we see, as April read in Matthew chapter six, Jesus pivots. He goes in a new direction now. He goes back to now unpacking what behavior looks like for someone who is filled with the Spirit of God, for someone who does have a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus has claim over their lives and the disposition, the qualities that emanate from the Beatitudes. And so he starts this section with this warning. Just go back and look at verse one again. He says, beware, beware, warning, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that sentence right now really sets up this entire next section. It will be in today, will be in next week, and the week after. And that's this warning that it is possible for us to go through the motions. This is gonna be a little uncomfortable for us. I'm just gonna be warning you. Today, in the next few weeks, it's gonna be a little uncomfortable because it is easy for us to fake it, right? Can I get an amen on that? It's easy to fake, to go through the motions of a religiosity, especially in our culture and our context where you know, we're not heavily persecuted for our faith. Um, it's kind of beginning to be so, but it's still pretty, pretty safe to be a follower of Jesus here in the good old US of A, right? So, so it's easy to fake. It's easy to go through the motions. It's easy to do a lot of the right things, but not have the right heart behind those right things. And if you do the right thing for the wrong reason, it still ends up being the wrong thing. And so this is where Jesus takes it. He makes it uncomfortable, but he, what, he's, what he's doing here is he's speaking to not just our actions, but the motivations of those actions. And he's contrasting those with this group of religious leaders in his own day called the Pharisees and the scribes. And so um, he, he goes through this. And so looking at this, these next three paragraphs, really over the next few weeks, we see kind of a pattern where Jesus is in a very vivid, very deliberate, kind of humorous way, showing and painting a picture of the Pharisees as being very hypocritical. And we'll talk about that word hypocrite today. And, but their goal is, is receiving man's applause. That's their goal. So with this, he contrasts our true way of following Jesus with the Pharisees' way. So that's what he's doing. Let's look at the big thought this morning. Is that followers of Jesus live out their imputed righteousness. Now this is when Jesus died on the cross. We trust in him. He gives us his right standing with the Lord. And true followers live that out, right? Instead of a self-righteousness, which just focuses on outward appearances, which really manifests inward corruption. So here's where he starts in verse two. Thus, therefore, because, because of this, right? He says, when you give to the needy. The first thing we see, number one in your notes, followers of Jesus give. Just, we just do. He doesn't say, if 
you give, right? Just like next week. See, he didn't say if you pray. I mean, do followers of Jesus pray? Yeah, we pray. Do followers of Jesus worship? Yes, we worship. These are just things that are understood. So followers of Jesus give. So it's not something we do in order to gain favor from God. It's something we do because we already have favor with God. It's something we do because Jesus lives within us. And if we're in this process of following Jesus, you know, we're in this growth pattern, right? So if you're following Jesus, you're, you're growing. The Bible calls it this big word called sanctification, right? That we are being sanctified. Just turn to your neighbor and remind them, you are being sanctified. There's, there's hope for you. Okay, I'll tell them, there's hope for you yet. Yes. So we give. And all of us are in this process of giving. And here this word give, it, it meant a deed of mercy, or pity. We'll unpack that some more a little bit later. Um, but what, what this term, although it, it has a meaning, it delves to the motivation, it simply came to mean in Jesus' day a lot of times just simply giving alms. You see a poor person, you, get, you give alms. In fact, some of our older translations actually translate that way. Like the old, New, uh, the old King James Version says, therefore, when thou dost thine alms, right? That's how it, it rendered this Greek text. So it was almsgiving, helping, giving to the poor. So, but if we're following Jesus, we're growing in Christ-likeness, we should see all aspects of our life become like Jesus. And that includes the area of giving. Just think about Jesus as a giver, right? Like in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, says that Jesus himself says, even I, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. John 3, 16, we read that, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We see in 1 Peter that he has given us everything we need for life of godliness. I mean, you can never achieve the level of generosity of God himself, man. We can't outgive God. God is the ultimate giver. He has given, Jesus gave everything to save us, right? And so if we're growing to become like Jesus more and more and more, we should see growth in the area of giving. So what does that look like? Let's just look real quickly at just some practical, this is a very practical part. Just some growth in giving. What does that look like? Well, first of all, if you're here watching online today and you have never given, You've never been a giver. Um, you know, at the end of the service, we go out and the ushers have the buckets out there in the lobby or we, you know, tell you that it's possible to give online or through text or mail it in, whatever. A lot of ways to give. And you just, yeah, I'm just not yet, I'm not ready for that. that. That's fine. But a growth step would be go from not giving to being a first time giver. What an awesome moment. That's a first step in a whole new area of being like Jesus. You know, and, and the cool thing about scripture that teaches this is that it's better to give than to receive. You know, when I was a kid, I called hogwash on that, right? Christmas came, I love to get presents. But as you grow in the Lord, you realize that is so true. You get, there's this joy that happens in your life when you're able to give. You know, like, so you know, right now we have a, a whole team, 20, 22 People in Senegal, West Africa, we prayed over them last week, commissioned them. They're over in Senegal. They are giving of their time. 
A lot of them gave of their resources to be able to go. They are giving of themselves for the Lord Jesus, and they're having a blast. They're gonna be so blessed for it. A lot of you've done the same thing on mission trips, et cetera. Some of you gave money to help them go. That's a blessing to be a part of because you're giving towards not just them going on a trip, but you're giving towards the kingdom of God expanding. Is there any better investment on the planet than that? No, no, no greater investment because these are eternal investments, right? The, the, the consequences of what we give and contribute for kingdom purposes last forever, forever and ever. So it's good stuff. So if you've never given, be a first-time giver and, and just begin to taste the goodness of being a part of God's kingdom through giving. So who we give? First time. Second, if you have given, become a regular giver. Here's the cool thing about a growth in Christ. We always have a next step, right? None of us have arrived. None of us are there yet, right? We still have more sanctification to go. We still have more anger to conquer. We still have lust to defeat. We still have generosity to grow in, right? And so all of us have that next step. And so if you have given, become a regular giver. Make it a, a regular pattern. We see this as a, as a New Testament pattern. First Corinthians chapter 16, Paul says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, right? So again, as we grow, it becomes a regular practice. Remember, the goal is generosity, and we'll, we'll get there in a second, but it's a process to get there, to grow there. So set the first day of each week, which is, of course is Sunday, set aside a sum of money. So if you are a regular giver, maybe you do that. Maybe you put in, you know, 20 bucks a week or whatever. If you're a regular giver, kind of your next step to shoot for, to grow in, is to become a tither. Tithe, that's a big, how many of you heard the word tithe before? Been in church world, you have, yep. Tithe, the word tithe means 10th, right? And here's, this is, this really begins to stretch us in the growth of our giving. If you've never given, a 10th sounds like a lot. Like you make $5,000 a month. That's 500 bucks, right? That's a car payment, right? It sounds like a lot. Um, a nice car payment. I guess, I don't have a car payment. I drive old, old beat up stuff. So anyway, but <clears throat> it sounds like a lot. It may hurt a little, right? It stings a little when you start trying to figure out how to budget this a tenth in your income. But this is when biblical giving really kicks in because Jesus' giving is sacrificial. It's not, it's not the easy side periphery leftover. He, he gives out of his substance. He gives of himself, right? He gives it all. And so as we grow in Christ, we get there where ours is to be also, to be sacrificial. What Old Testament, the law of the tithe, it, it fed the priests. It took care of the temple, the tabernacle. I mean, it had, a, it had a lot of purpose, but it also provided purpose for the givers. Now, this Bible's kind of hard to find, but remember back in the day, some of you who are older like me, Remember the old green living Bible? Y'all remember that? Who, who, who still has one of those? Put up your hand, yeah. So it's, it's a paraphrase, right? It's not a literal word-for-word translation, but it's a, it's a paraphrase. I love the living Bible. But anyway, it, in Deuteronomy 14, 23, here's what it says. It says, the purpose of tithing, right, is to teach you to always, say always, put God first in your lives. Isn't that good? 
Always put God first. So, so it had a purpose for the giver as well, because it's easy for us as we, as we accumulate more and more, especially as Americans, you know, we have, an, we have an overabundance. But as we accumulate more and more, it's so easy, as we'll look at it in a couple of weeks, for our heart to get all wrapped up in our stuff and our money and retirement and 401ks and investments and, and start thinking in terms of this is mine, you know, and, and to forget, oh, wait a minute, I'm just a manager. It all belongs to God. All his. And I'm to steward or to manage it for his glory. Well, tithing keeps that concept in the forefront of our mind. That, wait a minute, this is all God's anyway. So tithing is a, is a great spiritual discipline to, to grow into where you're learning to be generous. And yes, at first, if you're not used to it, it, it there's a little sting to it, there's a little hurt. But when you really give of yourself sacrificially, the word sacrifice is in there, right? It's a, it hurts a little bit, but it's so healthy to grow us to trust in the Lord. In fact, <clears throat> in the Old Testament, toward the end of Old Testament days, the people had kind of stopped tithing. They stopped trusting in God. They were looking to their own resources and they were suffering because of it. Because God knows when we're trusting ourselves and our stuff instead of trusting him. Is that good? No, bad things happen because we are not trustworthy. Your stuff is not trustworthy. Just go back in history and look at any recession or depression. Their stuff didn't come, didn't come to bat for them. It went away. It left them hanging. It left them high and dry. God will never leave us, never forsake us. We're to trust him first. And so in Malachi, God gives them this rebuke. He says, you've robbed me. He says, in tithes and offerings. But he says, go, go ahead and bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Isn't that good? It's a promise. So take God up on that, right? Just take him up on that. But then a lot of you tithing, they've been tithing for years. And we praise God for you, right? We praise God for all of your generosity. But if you're already tithing, do you also have a next step? Yes, there's always a next step, right? And that next step is to become an extravagant giver where you are hitting generosity. And here's a passage, I just love this passage because it, it screams of a generous heart. And it's, it's not just an individual, it's an entire church. 2 Corinthians chapter eight, Paul says, we want you to know, my brothers, he's talking to the church at Corinth. He's gonna be bragging about these other church or churches in Macedonia. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. So they were poor. These weren't wealthy people. But they have overflowed in a What? Wealth of generosity on their part. Look at what it says here. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and yet beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So, this, this group of people, they, they had gotten to a point in their walk with Jesus where it wasn't just about tithing. It wasn't just about the giving. It was like, we're a part of this kingdom and it is an honor to give everything we can 
and even beyond what we can, beyond their ability to see the gospel go forward. That was their heart. And we've had some of you do that. It's been incredible. You know, just, I could name so many examples, like the church buildings we've built over in Africa. Some of you said, hey, I want to be a part of that. And so they'll give 1,000, 10,000. You know, we had one family came forward and said, hey, we want to help build a hospital in the village in Zambia. So we have a hospital now that's almost finished because a family donated a lot of money to be able to do that. Folks, that's awesome. The kingdom is advancing because of that. And we get, that's a way we get to be a part of that, that extravagant giving. Why are we able to have three campuses? Because a lot of you are extravagant givers because things cost money. How are we able to do these things? Giving, right? Being a part of God's kingdom, giving to God, knowing it's not ours anyway. Now, and maybe there's some of you here who you're, you're pretty well off. You've done well. God has blessed you with a great career. He's blessed you with quite a bit of margin. You know, and I just want to encourage you to ask the question, why has God blessed me so much? If you look at your blessings, you think in terms of a steward, a manager, okay, if God has blessed me with this, how does he want me to leverage this for his kingdom and his glory? I mean, does he want you to take care of your family? Absolutely. Does he want you to leave some for your kids and grandkids to bless them? Sure, absolutely. But also for his kingdom to advance. When you go on these mission trips or you go up here to the city, you know, like we have a group every Thursday night goes and serves the homeless. And you just see, you see poverty, you see need, you see want. Tugs at your heartstrings. That's good. Let God tug at your heartstrings. Because maybe God is moving you to be more of a part of his kingdom through your generosity. Just remember this. The more you give, the more blessing you receive, right? That's not why we give. Our motivation is not about me. We're gonna get that in just a second. We give for the glory of God. So generosity is great. It's awesome. Remember, Jesus isn't just talking about the doing. He's talking about the why. So let's, let's dig into um, this a little bit because in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord said to Samuel, don't, don't look... Do not look on the appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance. The Lord looks on the what? The heart. Hebrews 4 reminds us, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This brings up the, the little more of the uncomfortable. Followers of Jesus give for the right reason. This is the why. This is why do I give, right? Do I give so that some people in the church will know that I'm a good follower of Jesus? By the way, there are like only two or three people in this church that know what you give, um, and I'm not one of them. Contrary to popular opinion, pastors, most pastors don't know what people give. I don't. I'd like you know what I give. Uh, but follow Jesus, give for the right reason. So here, again, back to this word, to give to the needy. That implies an act of compassion. The word, the way the Greek reads, it implies there's heart behind it. There's sympathy and empathy that's involved. And so there's been a, Pretty popular saying that has come, I don't know who started this, but I love it. Because you can give without loving. That's true. You can give something without loving someone. 
But if you really love someone, can you not give to them? How many of you who are parents or grandparents, could you imagine not giving anything to your grandkids? Could you imagine Christmas coming? They come to the grandma and grandpa's house, whatever they call you, you know, Nana and Papa, or I don't know what all y'all's grandparents' names are, right? But they come over and they say, hey, Nana, Merry Christmas. And you say, hey, good to see you. I didn't get you a thing. My goodness, that, that would just talk about wrecking Christmas. Grandparents, no gifts. Oh, you love your grandkids, so what do you do? You give and you give abundantly. I mean, you probably give way too much, right? That's what we do. That's what we do. Why? Because if you really love, you just give. That's what happens. And so God who loves, gives. And so if we're truly loving people, if we're truly loving the unchurched, the lost, we're truly loving each other, we give. It's what we do. So if, if you give, why do you give? So here's kind of three scenarios that Jesus here um, either directly or is implied alluding to here in this passage. First, one reason we give is to seek the praise of mankind. This is the Pharisees. This is the scribes. And so Jesus here paints this picture of seeking that, that applause of man, a ravenous hunger for the praise of man. That was the besetting sin of the Pharisees as we'll continue to unpack in weeks ahead. And also many who have followed them since, this praise of mankind. Now, let's be honest, there's Christians today that, that do this, right? That love the praise of mankind. I don't think really start out that way. I think genuinely most people who end up there start just wanting to please the Lord. But over time, they just get encouragements and they get that of boys or that of girls and they begin to like the attention or they see others like you see in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira. It's a story about them in Acts chapter uh, six, I think. Five, no, five, Acts chapter five. Ananias and Sapphira, they saw this guy named Barnabas who sold everything he had and gave all the money to the apostles for the church because he was just all in. And I mean, everybody celebrated that, right? Barnabas became a key leader in the church. Well, then there's Ananias and Sapphira and they, they liked what they saw. So they kind of said, well, let's sell our stuff, but... We'll give it some of it to the church, but we'll just say it is all of it. We'll keep some of it to ourselves. And so they had this whole lie concocted, and so they did that. And well, they died. Let's make the long story. Read Acts 5. You just read all about it. But anyway, it was not good, not good at all. But they got caught up in that applause of men. Jesus says this to the Pharisees in John 12 later. He says, For they love the glory that comes from men more than the glory that comes from God. The giving of the Pharisees, they become a public performance. You know, so Jesus here says, talks about um, sound, the, when you give to the need, thus when you give to the need, sound no trumpet before you, like the Pharisees, the hypocrites. They sound a trumpet. They're making this big processional. This is what Jesus had in mind. He pictured a, a pompous ceremony, a Pharisee on his way to put money in the special box at the temple or synagogue and or take a gift to the poor, and in front of him marches these trumpeters and blowing a, blowing a fanfare as they walk and quickly attracting a crowd. That was kind of their practice. And they would say, well, we're blowing the trumpets because we want to attract the poor people to come so we can help them. But really, their, their motivation was, we're blowing the trumpet because people can, hey, look at me. I'm giving a lot. You should be like me. It's all about the external appearance. So Jesus is rebuking this 
childish anxiety we can sometimes have, the peer pressure, wanting to be cool in other people's eyes, wanting to be seen, revered, respected. And here Jesus uses the word hypocrite, the Greek word hypocrites, and it was a, a classical Greek term for theater. Um, started as an order, but then became an actor. And so when they changed parts, they would change masks. It wasn't makeup, it was just masks. They put a mask on, which is fine in plays, this was real life. They were putting this mask on as if they were this righteous, holy follower of the Lord. Instead, they were not. They were a hypocrite, wearing a mask. So Jesus here humorously rebukes the Pharisees. Remember, they're standing there listening to this. And everybody's kind of looking at them, <laughs> laughing at them, you know, because Jesus is just, he's calling them out in front of everybody. It's easy for us to poke and ridicule the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, but... We have it too. Our hypocrisy is not so amusing. How many times has this happened? Even in churches where people will give money and, but they really wanna be recognized for it. I know in, in Tennessee at our church there, we had this big expansion project and you know, we were building a, a gym and new classrooms for our, our growing congregation. And you know, we had this, this guy came forward and he says, look, I wanna give this first amount if you'll put a plaque up in the gym, dedicating it to me. I said, you can keep your money, no thanks. Now, to his credit, he later gave the money anyway, right? Thankful, because I'll, yeah. But you know, they just showed, and he, he's not like this evil, wicked person. He just, you know, thinking in terms, hey, I'm giving a lot of money, this is sacrificial, you know? And he was thinking in turn, maybe it'd inspire somebody else to give in the future or whatever, but no, it's looking for the applause of men. And um, it's not why we're here. Not, not why we're here. But why do we do this? Maybe, I mean, we all want to be good followers of Jesus, don't you? I do, yeah. You know, we, we all want to have a good reputation, which is a good thing. Reputation's good. In fact, in 1 Timothy 3, it says one of the qualifications for an elder or pastor is to have a good reputation. You know, Proverbs says this, is a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. It's, but we can fall into the trap of not just wanting a good reputation, but wanting people to say, wow, that dude really is a good follower of Jesus. Or she is, she knows the word, man, she's deep. I wish I could be deep like her in the word and knowledge. We can tend to pursue that in an erroneous way. Bill Bright, I don't know if you know who, he's the guy that started Campus Crusade for Christ, now called Crew. But his whole career, he had on this desk a simple plaque. It just said, audience of one. He served an audience of one. Didn't serve this audience, he just served the audience of God. It's a good reminder he knew he needed that reminder to keep him humble, to keep him focused. It's a good reminder. So that's one motivation. Second motivation is self-seeking, self-seeking self-satisfaction. When we do something good, we, we feel good about ourselves. You know, when you genuinely help someone, it feels good, and God made us like that. But again, that can become the pursuit, the desire, the goal, and that's not the goal. That's a byproduct, not the end. And that's why Jesus reminds us in Luke 9 when he talks about people following him, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We're to deny self and follow 
the Lord, which takes us to the third reason we give, which is for the glory of God, the glory where God gets the credit. First Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So that's why we do what we do. So what is this glory of God? What does that, what does that even mean? The word glory means dignity, means honor, means fame, credit. So we want God to get the honor for everything we do. We want God to get the fame, the credit for everything we do because ultimately he's the one doing it through us. I love this verse, Philippians 2. It says, it is God who works in you both to will, that's the want to, and to work the doing for his good pleasure. Isn't that good? Know that God is working in you to want to do the right things and then to also do the right things. That's very hopeful. Well, when we do all this, number three, followers of Jesus see the rewards of the Father. So Jesus says, look, if you, if you give for the wrong reasons, you get your reward, whether it's the praise of, the praise of men or to feel good about yourself, what we've covered. But then he says, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing right? Meaning secret, secret, so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. A lot of times we do the right thing and we're in the back of mind, man, I wish someone would have seen that. That was kind of feel good that I did that, but I did it for the right reason, but I wish someone would have seen that. Well, just know that God always sees, right? God sees. You don't have to have an audience. You don't have to have the accolades of others. God sees. And who do we want more rewards from? Absolutely, the Lord. Because who's a greater giver? The Lord, yeah? Who's got more resources to give? <laughs> the Lord, right? So let's honor him. Let's seek to honor him. But what is his reward? What is the reward? The reward is a relationship with him. It's not stuff. If you're in this to serve God to get stuff, your, your, your want to is misplaced. The reward of, of giving, the reward of, of doing these things is God himself. God himself is the reward. You get to have a relationship with God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11. The author says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and, don't miss this, that he rewards those who seek him. You really unpack that text in Hebrews. So what is this reward? It's him. It's God. You get to have a relationship. The creator God of the universe. To know him personally. Know him deeply. Know his love, his character. See his love and his character, you know, be imputed to you and grow within you. You let the Holy Spirit change you. You find yourself being more loving to others. You find yourself being less selfish. You find yourself being less greedy. You can find yourself becoming less lustful. I mean, everything that Jesus has just talked about is the antitheses of the Beatitudes. When you have the Spirit within you, he battles against those things on your behalf, in you and through you. It's just amazing, beautiful process Loving Jesus and seeing him set you free. 
the things that so easily entangle us and ensnare us. Part of that is our giving. You know, giving is, some preachers have said that pocketbook is the last part of us to be sanctified, right? So it's the hardest thing for us to let go of. It's the hardest thing for us to give over to Jesus. But it's also the only thing we have in the scriptures where God tells us to even test him in it. Trust him. Do you trust God enough? Be generous. You know, we, I was asked this about, not about money, but about people. We said, we're sending a lot of people to Windsor and Webster. Doesn't that hurt us here at Oakville? It's the same principle. Can we outgive God? Do we trust God or do we trust just our people? Trust God. So if we're sending people, if we even send this, our best out, we're not gonna outgive God. God's gonna bring new, and he has. He's, he's bringing new folks in, right? That's just the way God works. When you just trust the Lord, whether it's financially or whether it's people, whether it's in your relationships, I mean, do you have to give up what you don't wanna give up to keep the guy around? Trust in the Lord, no. Trusting God, we trust him. This is a principle throughout all of life, but it's also true when it comes to giving. You cannot overtrust God and you cannot outgive God. He is God, he is gracious, loves you more than you can possibly imagine. We trust him. This is a tough one. So we're gonna open up time to a time of prayer and maybe you just need to pray, God, help, help me trust you to be a giver. Help me, and help me trust you that even though I've never given, I wanna give for the first time or I've given some, I wanna trust you, Lord, to become a regular giver. Or just let, trust God to become that next step. But in 2 Corinthians, we saw this Macedonian church, there's a key phrase there. It says, they first gave themselves to the Lord and then, to us. So maybe your first step today to give your life to Jesus, to, to trust Jesus with your very life, your very salvation, your very soul, your very forgiveness. Maybe you've never confessed him as Lord and surrendered your life to him. And that is an amazing first step that you can take right here today. I ask you to stand. We're gonna go into a time of prayer and response. Ask our prayer counselors to come on down. And um, they'd love to pray with you, pray for you. And um, man, this is, hey, listen, it's a very holy thing to ask God to help you trust him. There's a dad in the New Testament. Yes, Jesus, Lord, help me in my unbelief. And you know what Jesus did? He helped him. Oh, Lord, help me in my struggle, trust. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you, but thank you that you love us so much more. You love us unconditionally. You demonstrated how you love us sacrificially. That you've given so much for us to be able to be in this relationship with you. So I pray this morning that for every single one of us here, we would just be thinking right now. So in, in my journey with you, Jesus, what, what is my next step? And Lord, I just pray you help us to take that next step. Maybe for some, it's to give their life to you, to trust you as Lord and Savior that you are and to
to believe the gospel. God, help them to come forward and just talk with one of us and pray with one of us so we can help them begin this amazing journey with you. God, maybe for others, this, this text is just right on point with the struggle. Maybe we're just not, maybe we're struggling, Lord, to trust you with our finances. And God, we need prayer. God, maybe we're tithers. But God, that next step of that extravagant, just, it's, it's scary. God, we just, we need you to help us trust you. Or maybe for some, it's, it's just beginning the journey of giving. God, what a, what a blessing they're about to live out. God, help them to have that trust, that confidence in you. Or, or maybe, maybe it's the principle of trusting in you. Maybe it's another area of life. Maybe it's in their marriage. Maybe it's in their physical health. Maybe it's in relationships. God, we just need help trusting you. God, just move us to pray, to ask. Because God, you answer. We're gonna look at this next week, Lord, how you answer prayers. So Jesus, just have your way with us this morning to take our next step. We give this time to you, in Jesus' name.